Well, over the next few weeks, um, well, next week we're going to have a guest speaker, but, but the, the next few weeks in February where we don't have a guest speaker, we're going to be looking at, at what does it look like to be followers of Jesus Christ? You know, when we think about Christianity, there are a lot of things that come to mind for, for us. Sometimes we think about church, we think about worship, we think about Jesus, we think about uh, creation and creation versus evolution, we think about uh, political issues. There are a lot of things that, that touch on Christianity. Maybe we think about Catholicism and Eastern Orthodox and Protestant Christianity and, and all the things there. There are a lot of things that we can think about where, where Christianity is like a web that's tied to all these different issues and thoughts and things. But, but sometimes, what does it look like for us to kind of narrow the focus and remember what's most important? I'm a pretty simple guy, and, and, I, and I can get very distracted, much like a cat, where, you know, life tends to just give me a lot of laser pointers. And, and at the beginning of the year, I have the one laser pointer, and I'm like, okay, I got this. I'm trying to get the one, and then there's a second laser pointer, and then a third, and then I just don't even know what's happening. And I just become this cloud of pause and movement. And, and, and so I wanted to take a moment through February, and, and for us to just turn off some of the other laser pointers and get a laser focus on what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be a disciple. Uh, I remember playing this game, follow the leader when you're a kid. And I don't, it's funny with kids, they'll come up with games and you're like, well, but how do you win? And they're like, I mean, you just play the game. And so we would just walk around and, and it almost happened kind of organically where you're just following a person and they're following a person, they're following a person, and then one just kind of does this and then everyone's doing this and, and, and you're following the leader and, and that leader's walking a particular way and then you do it and then twirling and it's just happening, right? And that's, that's the game. How do you win? I don't know. Is there a way to lose? Maybe. You know, it's, it's Calvin Ball, if you're familiar with Calvin and Hobbes. You're just making it up as you go. But the whole point is that you're following the person in front of you. You're following the leader. And we're not kids anymore, but we're still playing the game. We're not kids anymore, but we're still following the leader. Now, the leader may have changed. Hopefully it has. Hopefully it's not, not Billy and you're just kind of following and doing the weird dance. But, but we... we are really made to follow someone or something, right? We're made to, to follow people, emulate people. Maybe it's, maybe it's your close friends, the people around you. You know, you guys all have a way of saying certain things. I had a friend in college, and, and he, was an, he was an interesting guy, and I've got plenty of stories for another time, but one thing that he always did was he called everyone dad. He said, thanks, dad. And it was just this thing that he did. How's it going, dad? And, and so that's actually permeated, you know, there are people here at church that call me dad and I call them dad. It has nothing to do with fam familial relationship. It's just something ridiculous that we do. And, and I was following my friends. Maybe, maybe it's a, there's a celebrity, maybe uh, an athlete or a musician or someone where you're, you're following their career. You're interested in them. I remember when I was in college, there were, there were some bands where it was like, I, if I were to become a full-time musician, I, w I would want to be this kind of musician. I, want to have, I would want to have this kind of band. Or maybe it's, maybe it's a business person. You know, maybe you want to be the next Peter Drucker. You want to be a management guru. You want to be the next best project manager. You know, Six Sigma something. I'm just going to throw out some words. <laughs> Certifications. 
Or maybe it's a, it's a political party or, or a politician. You know, th- this person is gonna, they're gonna fix the future. And I'm following them. I'm, I'm, I'm shaping my life and my career around them. We are following the leader. And I think that it's worthwhile to, to reckon with the question, what does God have to say about who we follow? What does God have to say about who we follow? Because if you're a Benton person, I imagine that he has something to say about it. We're gonna be reading out of the book of Luke, chapter five. We're gonna read as a, as a family. <clears throat> so if you could stand up with me, we're gonna read out of the book of Luke, chapter five, verses one through 11 together. If you're, not, if you're new, we, we read the word of God out loud for the most part. We read it out loud so that we can be encouraged. This is one of the most important aspects of, of church is hearing the word spoken and speaking it back to our God. So we're going to do that right now. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out to them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, They had enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both of the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the day they had taken. And so were James and John and sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord to us. Let's pray. Father God, help us to follow well. I pray that we would see Jesus for who he is. God, I I recognize that so much of of living this life well is seeing and appreciating Jesus for who he is. Would you open our eyes to behold the glory of Jesus Christ? Help us to see him not just as a, a wise counselor or a good teacher, but as Lord. Lord God, help us to see him as worthy and give us the courage to follow him leaving everything behind we pray this in Jesus name amen you may be seated sorry about that I got a little dicey for there a moment sometimes when you're on stage this is unrelated but when you're on stage you'll be you'll be thinking about what you're saying and then you'll be thinking about how you're saying it, and then you'll be thinking about the fact that other people are hearing it, and then if you have one more thought, everything goes wrong. <laughs> and that's what happened. So I just yeah, had to reboot. 
Uh, it's, it's really bizarre. I mean, I mean, come on up sometime and you can see. It's fun. Uh, so we have this, this scene in, in near the beginning of the, the book of Luke where Luke is really recounting the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and we see that, that Jesus, he's begun his, his ministry. He's, he's preaching and he's, he's teaching the word. And in verse one, it says, on this occasion, just in a general occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, his ministry was flourishing and, and people were interested and they were, they were pressing in. They wanted to hear so much so that he's, imagine being surrounded by people, but at kind of a, 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 an equal level where your words are being blocked by the heads of the people in front. And, and so they're having trouble hearing and, and there's some, some clamor maybe. And so he saw the two boats, it says in verse two, by the lake, the fishermen were out, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he, he asked him to put out a little from the land. Simon is Simon Peter, Peter, who is one of the, soon to be one of the, the apostles. And Jesus enters the boat and, and begins to teach at this lake Gennesaret. He's taking advantage of kind of the, the amphitheater power of the lake. So he doesn't have uh, John Patton and, and Team Awesome to help provide sound reinforcement and so he has to go um, analog and use the lake. And so he's out there, he's preaching and teaching. And then something amazing happens. After he finishes teaching, it says in verse 4, he said to Simon, put out into, <clears throat> into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. Now, now Simon Peter, is, he's a, a fairly, we think, accomplished Fisherman. I mean, he's, he's actually, he's done this as a trade. He knows how to do it. And so he looks at this religious teacher and, you know, he's like, oh, okay. It'd be like me coming into, well, I'm not Jesus, but the closest thing you can get right now. Um, <laughs> going into Elder JC's business and saying, let me look at the accounts receivable. I got, I got an idea for you. And Pastor Elder JC looking at me and saying, No. <laughs> That's kind of how, how Peter responds. He says, Master, we toiled all night and, and took nothing. But because he's, you know, he's, he's up for a good time. He says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. This guy wants to do something. Sure, why not? And they throw the nets over. And, and I, I just imagine that he's like, this is going to be funny. And whew, what, what does he think he's going to teach us a lesson? And, and then... He, he pulls up the net and let me show, oh, and, and the net doesn't pull up and he yanks on it again and it, maybe it's stuck on something and he begins to, oh, there's some fish in there. And that's when the money side of him clicks in. He's like, let's do, okay, business time. Grabs his, his other uh, uh, compatriots and they, they start to pull in the nets and it says that they enclosed a large number of fish. It's his unadorned language. They got a bunch of like, fish coming and their nets were breaking they were signaling to their partners they're screaming at their partners. this was not hey friends um help us no they're signaling come on get in the other boat there's a ton of fish and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink it's a happy sad moment i don't really know what you do as a as a fisherman when you're like yay we're, we're gonna be rich if we don't sink and they're in the deep part, right? They're not in this, this is not shallows. This is not the Outer Banks sound where you can ju jump out and it's five feet in and you just push your, your boat to shore. No, they're, this is good, this is bad. Like, why aren't there motorboats? 
<laughs> Someone invented quick. And they bring it to shore. And this, this amazing miracle happens. Now, I just want to pause and say, family, don't, don't begrudge begrudging obedience. Now, some of you, you love the Lord and you follow him and you invite your friends and families to church. And sometimes they say, nope. And other times they say, I guess I'll come. And, and, and we in our humanness can look at that and say, Ugh, and just be sad, upset, frustrated with their response. Maybe you're laboring with someone in your family. Maybe you're laboring with, with a coworker. Maybe you're, you're pushing and trying, you're praying for someone and, and, and you just feel like you pull all day long and all you get is a centimeter. You get them a centimeter closer and, and you come to God and you're like, God, why can't they just... But you know what Jesus did? He rolled with it. He had this, this knucklehead fisherman who thought he knew better than the creator of the universe... And he didn't stop and be like, you're an idiot. Do you know who I am? No, he was like, just, just do this. And he, he was willing to suffer, I use the term loosely, but he, he was willing to, to deal with Peter's begrudging obedience. And maybe that might be the season that you're in. And my encouragement is to do what Jesus does. Follow Jesus and, and be willing to walk along with someone's begrudging obedience. It's a lot better than their um, flamboyant disobedience. <laughs> and so a miracle happens. They catch a lot of fish. So many fish that the nets break. So many fish that they had to get the other boat to help. And so many fish that they began to sink. This is not just, hey, yay, we're going to have a fish fry. No, this is money. Right? This, was a, this was a transactional moment. These were businessmen. This was windfall. They were excited about cash. Things were going to happen. They were excited. Family, do you know better than Jesus? That's what I was trying to say there. You know, Peter's in this, in this boat and, and Jesus is dealing with his begrudging um, um, obedience and, and Peter thinks he knows better than Jesus. And I mean, that's kind of the name of the game for Peter. I know better than you, Jesus. Oh, you're the son of God. I know better than you, Jesus. Oh, you know, you're, you're the creator of everything. I know better than you, Jesus. That's, that's Peter. From, from beginning to really the end where, where finally Jesus is like, I, I rose from the dead, Peter. <laughs> I know better than you. And, and, and we, we all would say, oh, I'm not Peter. I know that the Lord is better than me. He is wiser than me. He is stronger than me. That's why I read my Bible for five minutes a day. <laughs> me too. Um, but we'll say things like, Jesus, I, I know that the words you, you say um, mean that I should walk in purity and singleness and, and I should walk in fidelity and marriage, but you don't understand my situation. I, I know better than you in this particular situation, Jesus. I mean, I know in general... There are things that are left for marriage and shouldn't be enjoyed outside of marriage, but, but Jesus, marriage is kind of a thing I can't deal with right now. And Do you know better than Jesus? Or maybe, Jesus, I, I know that I need to handle my money with integrity and with, with honesty and truth, but have you worked with these people? Have you had to answer to this guy? 
Have you had to deal with this company? It's a corrupt company. For me to take a little bit off the top is taking a little bit from the, the wicked ones. I'm basically Robin Hood. <laughs> Do you know better than Jesus? Jesus, I know that you say I must forgive, but you haven't been hurt like I've been hurt. You haven't had to deal with people hurting you the way that I have. Do you, do you think you know better than Jesus? We see here that Peter encounters Christ and realizes, oh, Jesus knows better. Family, Jesus knows better. Say it with me. Jesus knows better. I say that for myself. Jesus knows better than Eddie. Jesus knows better. And Peter encounters Christ in such a way that he has a different understanding of who Jesus is. So they draw on the nets, they, they bring the, the boats ashore. And when Simon Peter, it says in verse 8, sees it, he fell down at Jesus' feet or knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When we follow Jesus, we follow him as Lord. We don't follow him as, as, a, as a smart guy who gives us good advice. He's not your, he's not your, your tax man. He's not your, I, you know, I got a guy. Who, he's really great. He's got good advice. He can help me. He, he navigates my life. He, he unknots my difficult situations. No, he's not helpful. He's Lord. Now, it's interesting. In verse 5, Peter says this. Master, we have toiled all night. And he, he kind of, I feel like there's some sarcasm, maybe not sarcasm, but just to kind of, I know I have to call you this master. And the term master, it's not like master, I worship you, but, but like teacher, rabbi. So he's paying him a level of respect, but it's not the level of respect that's, that's deserved by Jesus. And it's interesting that as soon as he sees this miracle, he's, he, he's heard Jesus preach and the words that he say, and we can assume that, that some of it had to do with the kingdom of God and God's plan that was going to be accomplished through Jesus Christ. And he's like, okay, master. But then he sees the power of God and he sees that Jesus is not to be trifled with. And all of a sudden, his, his testimony is, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Oh, Lord. Oh, we're calling you something different now, Jesus. You're not just a good teacher, you're Lord. We're going to backpedal a little bit about how we've been approaching you. You know, this is, this is undercover boss to the nth degree. <laughs> I did not know. I just thought you were a mean manager. He was Lord. Who do you consider Jesus to be in your life? Not just by your words, but by your actions. Do you consider, you know, when it comes to these things, obviously, Lord, God, Jesus is Lord of these areas, but these areas, he's a good teacher. There's some other areas, there's some other things that I want to pull from. You know, I love the wisdom of, of Buddha right here. I love the wisdom of the world. I love my great ideas, right, in this, as it relates to this situation. You know, God, I, you know, as it, I, I'm supposed to go to church, your word says that, but I don't know about tithing. I mean, Jesus, how would you, I, I, I've got an opinion about that. Is he Lord or is, is, he, is he less? Following Jesus means following him as Lord in every aspect of your life. We talk about lordship and lordship looks like 
following him, Jesus, not only in areas where you like to follow him, but in the areas where you don't want to follow him. To put it practically, family, following Jesus means following the leadership that he's put in your life. Do you have a small group leader who sometimes calls you out and you're like, you're just a small group leader. I'm not going to listen to you. That's not lordship. If they're, not calling, if they're calling you to anything that, that's biblical, then they represent Christ in your life. A freaky thing about my job that sometimes makes me lose sleep and feel nervous is that I, my responsibility in some ways is to represent Christ to you, not just to be some upstart 30-something guy who's just trying to make it on stage without passing out. No, I'm, I'm trying to give you the word of God in such a way that you hear it and your heart is transformed. Do you follow Christ as a good idea, as a, as a, a smart teacher, as a wise counselor, or as Lord? Not only was he a Lord, he's, he's a holy Lord. Let's look at verse 8. Depart from me, he says. For I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. Depart from me, I am a sinful man, O oh Lord. This is, this is reminiscent of, of Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see this amazing vision of God on his throne. I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. In the year of the, that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew, and one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. God has individuals who were created to worship him. All the time, verbally, as they fly in the air. They have two wings whose purpose are to cover them so that they might not see and be blinded or destroyed by the glory of God. Cover their feet so that their, 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 their lowliness, the unworthiness is covered and they might not uh, besmirch the glory of God. And they, they fly and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. All the time. On Monday, when you're driving to D.C., looking at these people driving like maniacs, they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And, and Isaiah looks and he's seeing this, the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That is Jesus. And so here we see Paul, or not Paul, Peter, having a similar experience when he's encountering the same God. And he says, depart from me. Go, go, go away, go away, please. I'm a, I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. And he calls him, oh Lord. And in that moment, he realizes that he was in the presence of someone powerful, someone who could change his money situation in a moment, right? He had just gotten all this, all this 
fish. He was someone who could control nature, someone who had knowledge that no sh- human should have. Even with the best GPS, fishermen still had, kind of have to guess at where the fish are. He just says, let's go out, throw out your nets. Pre-GPS. Just Jesus P.S. I know, it's dumb. Peter saw Jesus for who he was. Someone who's completely different from him. Completely separate from anything he had seen. Someone who was holy. One of the aspects of God's holiness is not just that he's morally clean. It's that he is so unique that he is completely other. Because we all share in common the fact that we are creatures. Everything is created and God is the only being in and out of creation who is other. One theologian would explain it this way. Every other belief system really boils down to a big circle. If we're thinking of Venn diagram, it's a big circle and everything's in it. And it makes everything God and nothing God. And the distinctive quality of Christianity is it's two circles. God and everything else. That's holiness. God is in a league of his own. He's in a a, a circle of his own. He's in a, a category of his own. Peter understood this, and he says, depart from me, I am a sinner. In the presence of his holiness, Peter felt the weight of his own sin. Family, I, this is a, it's something that we have to reckon with. When you come to church, when you read the Bible, when you, when you pray, part of what should happen is that you are faced with the weight of your own sin. Now, the good news of Jesus Christ is that we don't stay there, but we do have to start there. We do have to start there. A a, a gospel message that doesn't deal with the weight of your sin is no gospel message at all. Family, the, the reason that we have to deal with our sin is because at its core, sin is dishonoring God. And again, I've said this before, but, but if one of you were to come on stage and you were to try to take over the meeting um, and, and maybe push me off stage, that would be dishonoring. And we might say, please don't come back. But that'd be about it. Now, if you were to go to Richmond and, and interrupt a governmental meeting and try to get the governor and, and, and throw him out, you would get arrested, right? Now, if you went to Capitol Hill and even tried to approach the president in a way that might come off as aggressive, you might get shot. It's the same behavior, but the offense is against a person of different levels of honor. We have to deal with the weight of our sin because we have not just sinned against a guy. We've sinned against one who is infinitely worthy of honor. And unfortunately, that means that the punishment due to us is infinitely vast. Have you dealt with the weightiness of your own sin? Now, there's good news coming, so we won't stay there. What sin does God want to address in your life today? When, when I said sin, for some of you, 
Words came to mind. Thoughts came to mind. Actions came to mind. Behaviors came to mind. Those are the sins that God is saying, deal with that. There are things in your life that displease God that he wants to deal with. The good news is that Jesus came because of the weightiness of our sin. The weightiness of our sin demands a death. And the good news is that Jesus came and he loves us and he died on the cross to bring, sin, uh, bring salvation to people like you and me who trust in him. But there is sin that needs to be addressed. Christian, there is sin that still dwells within you that God wants to address. And if you are in this room and you don't trust in Jesus Christ, friend, God wants to deal with your sin in a gracious manner through Jesus Christ so that he does not have to deal with your sin in a just manner. I'll leave it at that. Peter, James, and John turn to Jesus willing and understanding that he is holy. And then they, they realize that, that in order to, to follow him, they must leave everything. It says in verse 11, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now again, imagine, because we're not fishermen, imagine the boats are just filled with bags of money. Because that's basically what it is. So what they did is they brought their boats of bags of money and they left everything and followed him. Part of me just does this, and my brain breaks. They, bags of money, they didn't take some of the bags of money, they didn't say, let's put the bags of money in the bank and then we'll follow Jesus. They didn't say, Jesus, we got some bags of money that you just gave us. What do you, let's do something with these. Jesus, I think we should set up a, you know, a 501c3, maybe a nonprofit charity. Let's take these bags of money and start it off. We can give out bags of money to children. We'll be the bags of money corporation. You could just do this every now and again. We'll just go fishing for bags of money. No, what do they do? They brought their boats to land. They left everything and followed him. The, the amazing thing is that they found that Jesus was worthy. Yeah. He was worthy. He was worth more than this. There, Peter is, he's a, he's a flighty guy. And we're going to see if you continue and watch him that he continues to make mistakes. But something was caught in that moment. Whatever I understand about God, this guy is worth more than that. If he can do that in a moment, he can do way more than that. And family, sometimes when you follow God, you're like, I'm going to follow you, but I'm going to hold on to this other thing because I don't know if you're going to be good enough to, to help me with this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this relationship even though it's messed up and it's, and it's, and it's hurting me because... You know, God, you're good, but this is also helpful. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to this money. I don't need to tithe. I'm not going to... I'll give when I have more money, God. Uh, God, I'm, uh, I, I, will, I will let go of this offense. I will let go of this, this pain. I will let go of this, this, uh, this hurt, this unforgiveness when I'm in a better place. I'm going to follow you, but I'm just going to hold on to this thing. That's saying that God is not worth it. He's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He's not powerful enough. He's not 
He's not a good enough provider. He's not a good enough lover. He's not a good enough carer. Peter understood something about the fact that this God, this Jesus Christ, he was serious business. And if you find yourself with one hand, one, one, one hand holding on to something in the past, one hand reaching out to Jesus, my encouragement to you would be to turn all the way to Jesus, put both of your hands on his robe, and hold on tight. Because Jesus had a purpose and a plan for them. What, what we, we've been focusing on Peter, and, and, and it's neat to see Peter's perspective, but, but the reality is Jesus came, he's like, I'm going to teach a lesson, then I'm going to go out on a boat, then I'm going to catch a ton of fish, I'm going to impress all these people, then I'm going to walk away from it. I'm going to get these knuckleheads and they're going to follow me. He had a, he had a plan for these guys. He didn't come and just like, well, what should I do today and... You know, what are my most important tasks? I'll figure this out. No, he had a plan. In Ephesians chapter two, Paul says that God has a plan for us, good works that he has prepared for us when? Before the foundations of the world. Before Peter was a baby. Before Peter, before the Jewish people were people. Before he said, let there be light. He had a plan for Peter. And in the same fashion, God has a plan for you. When you choose to follow Jesus, you don't choose to follow someone who is flighty and doesn't have a plan. You choose to follow the person whose plan you were created for. He had a plan. God doesn't just save us to get us out of hell. He doesn't just save you to be aimless and just kind of, what do I want to do with my life? He saves us that we might walk in the good works which he prepared for us before the foundations of the world. So Peter, James, and John brought their boat to shore, left it all, and followed Jesus. They were leaving their income, they were leaving their identity, they were leaving their prior purpose. And when you follow Jesus, you have to leave your, your plans and your, your income, you have to leave your identity, and you have to leave your prior purpose. Your five-year plan is up for grabs when you follow Jesus. Your 10-year plan, up for grabs. It's not to say we walk in foolishness, we walk in wisdom, but you hold that with an open hand and say, Jesus, what do you want to do with this? It's not this thing where it's like, okay, Jesus, uh, I'll invite you into the strategic meeting. These are our primary objectives. These are the obstacles. What do you think we should do about these plans? No, it's, it's Jesus, here's my life. Here's my money. Here are my relationships. Here's my heart. Here's my desires. Here's my interests. What do you want to do with it? That's why Paul says in Romans 12, offer yourselves as living sacrifices. A living sacrifice doesn't say, this is how I want you to sacrifice me on the altar. You don't see lambs saying, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. No, the lamb is sacrificed. If we're living sacrifices, that means someone else is doing the sacrifice. Someone else is directing the worship. Someone else is, is putting this thing together. They left everything. When you come to follow Jesus, you leave your former self behind. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Peter says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ. It is I, I'm sorry, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live now, I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Family, if you follow Jesus, you don't live anymore. 
Christ lives in you and through you. What, what does that mean? What was Paul trying to get at there? He's saying that, that all of your own plans and purposes have been submitted under the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're calling him Lord with your mouth, you have to call him Lord with your life. It, we all know it's, it's hypocritical to call him Lord with our life, but say, you know what, I'm gonna, my plans, mine. No, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You leave behind everything, but you get to gain everything in Christ. The life I live, I live in Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. We don't follow someone who says, come here, follow me. Do things that I would never do. No, Jesus set the standard. None of us, I'm looking around, have been crucified. None of us have been scourged with the cat of nine tails. None of us have, I'm assuming, worn a crown of thorns. Nor, none of us have been buried dead in a grave for three days. So when he says, come and die and live in me, he's not calling you to do anything but what he did. When you follow Jesus, you leave your former self behind. Family, there are a lot of things that go into Christianity. There are a lot of things that are involved with your life. Your lives are complicated, I'm sure. There, there are competing priorities, competing desires, you got, you know, your kids and what they're doing, your, your spouse and your, your employment. And there are just tons of ways to spread your life out, your interests, your passions. And it can be very cloudy. But today I want to encourage you to follow Jesus, who is our Lord, who is our Holy One, and who is our Worthy One. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you... I just worship you for being who you are. You are Lord. I am not. I am not in charge. We are not in charge. We are not sovereign. You are Lord. And you are holy. You are other. You are different from us. You are separate from us. You are connected to us by love, absolutely, but you are different, God. And you are worthy worthy of all the money, all the fame, all the health, worthy of anything that we could put above you. You are more worthy. Your name is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And that means that you are Lord of Lords, King of Kings, God of Gods. You're above it all. 